You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Revolution series, a verse-by-verse study of the Book of Acts. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Go ahead and take your seats, and as you're doing that, if you'd please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. If you need a Bible, by the way, and you don't have one, go ahead and uh, stick your hand up. We'll make sure one of our ushers get you one. And you can always follow along every week uh, if you use your phone for your Bible. We have uh, live notes that are in the Version Bible app, so if that's how you roll, then you can check those out this morning. Uh, we are studying the book of Acts on Sunday mornings here at Whitefields in our series titled Revolution. And what we're looking at in this series is the revolution that took place in the wake of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how the gospel spread out into the world and it changed communities, it transformed lives, ultimately it changed the world. And this gospel is still changing lives and transforming communities even in our day as well. This revolution that began at that time, it continues on in our day, in our lives. So that's what we're studying about. Uh, We'll be in chapter 22 this morning. So Acts chapter 22. We're studying through the book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is one of the ways that we like to study the Bible here at Whitefields. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray as we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're a God who is faithful to us. Thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. And we ask that this morning we would have ears to hear what you would say to us and what you would speak to us. Lord, may we receive every bit of it. Lord, may our hearts and our minds, may they be good soil for the seed of your word, that it would go into our lives, Lord, and that it would bear much fruit, that it would take root, and that it would bear much fruit for your glory and for our good. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I were to ask you the question, what is the Bible? Right? So what would you say? How would you answer that question? Right? Because, okay, as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. But if you were to describe what the Bible is, like if you had to describe that, how would you describe it? I think that many people would describe it as saying, they would describe it in this way. They would say, the Bible is a collection of ancient writings of very, about various things, like the history of Israel and the, the life of Jesus and the development of early Christianity. Many people might also say that the Bible is a collection of moral teachings and wisdom to help us navigate life, which is interspersed with stories to help us understand these teachings, to illustrate these teachings. But what the Bible is, is actually much better than all of those things. What what the Bible is, is it is a single, unified story, which is interspersed with teachings. See, rather than being a bunch of teachings interspersed with stories, it's actually a story which is interspersed with teachings which explain the story. You see, the Bible is a narrative. The Bible is a grand story. It's this great big story, and it's made up of a bunch of little stories which come together to tell one big story. And that story is the story of God's mission in the world. It's the story of God's work of redeeming creation. You see, this is the story which in all the other details, the Bible is telling. The hero of this story is Jesus. In fact, if you look at it, the Bible's even constructed 
as a story, think about it like this. The Bible begins, like all stories do, with an ideal, the way things, you know, the norm, the way things are, the way things should be. You see, the good creation, man is in relationship with God. There's no sin, there's no shame. They're, they're living in harmony with nature. And then after we're introduced to the ideal, then we're immediately introduced to the conflict in the story. Sin enters the world. We turned away from God, and therefore our nature and all of creation was polluted and distorted. And then after the conflict, then there comes this foreshadowing of the resolution, which is to come. God promises that in spite of what we've done, in spite of who we are, he's not going to abandon us. He's committed to us. He's going to fix this problem. And he tells us what, how he's going to do that, sometimes very directly and sometimes in imagery and sometimes in allusions, right? Sometimes the solution is foreshadowed. It's hinted at. There are glimpses of what is going to come. And throughout the story, there is character development going on who God is, who the Messiah is going to be, building up to this great climax, preparing us for the moment when the hero, the Messiah, will be revealed. And then finally, the climax of the story comes when Jesus Christ, God as man, comes into the world and he fulfills the law and the prophets and he becomes the ultimate sacrifice, the cross of Calvary where God takes the sin of mankind upon himself to provide the solution and the resolution so that we can be reconciled to him, so we can be forgiven and have eternal life because of what he did. But as in every story, the climax is not the end of the story, is it? Right? You, you have, have to somehow bridge between the climax and the resolution. And so that's what we have here in the book of Acts. We have the area between the climax, Jesus on the cross, and the resolution, the fulfillment of all things. Right? Here in the book of Acts, after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, now people go out into the world. They're spreading this good news. They're establishing local churches as outposts of the kingdom of God and of the gospel. And the book of Acts, it's really it's a chapter. It's one chapter in this grand story of God's redemption that the Bible tells. And then finally, we have the conclusion. Right, This is the last book of the Bible. Bible, Revelation, where we see that Satan is judged, an end is put to sin and death and pain. Christ returns, there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and all things are made right. So that's the story. But you know what's interesting is that in a way we could say that the story is unfinished, isn't it? There's part of the story that's not written here for us. It's missing and it's unfinished. We know what the ending is going to be. We know the climax and we, and we know the ending, but the question is, how do we get from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation? What happens in between those two things? It's not written. It's not in there. And so the answer to that question is that we are living out that part of the story with our lives today. See, one of the things you'll see as we get to the end of the book of Acts, which we are getting towards the end, we've got only a few more weeks to go, what you'll see when we get to the end of the book of Acts is that it, it has no conclusion, right? There's, there's no, like, okay, that's how it all wrapped up, and that was nice. There's no bow on it, right? It's just kind of, it just sort of ends, and that's it. You turn the page expecting there to be more, and there's just not. And, and the reason for that is because this chapter in this grand story that God is telling, this story of redemption, this chapter continues on to this day. It hasn't yet been wrapped up. The spreading of the gospel into the world and transforming lives, the acts of the followers of Jesus who are led by the Holy Spirit to do the work of God in the places and the times in which they live, that work continues on even to our day. It's been said that 
Each subsequent generation writes their own chapter, so to say, in the book of Acts. The stories of how God worked in their generation. The great things that he did amongst them. The ways that he carried out his mission through them in their generation, in their time and place. Which again, shameless plug here, is a great reason why you need to sign up for our church history class, right? You sign up after church, I want to see all you guys there. We're going to pack this thing out. You need to know about the things that God has been doing in every generation, the things that, how Christianity has developed, how the gospel has spread, what has happened throughout history. So I hope you will sign up for that, the shameless plug there. But here's what all this means in, in the end. It means that you and I are living in this story. So there's this grand story of the world that's going on, And we're in the midst of it because, look, the story hasn't ended, right? So it started sometime in the past. It's going to end at sometime in the future, which guess where that puts us? Right in the middle of that story. We are living in God's story. And that means that your personal story is actually part of his grand story, which is ultimately the story of Jesus. Jesus, who came for you to save you and to redeem you and to give you hope for the future. The title of today's message is His Glory your story. And there are three aspects of this that I, I want to show you today from our text. First of all, we're going to talk about his story. We're going to talk about your story. And then we're going to talk about the imperative. So his story, your story, and the imperative. Here in Acts chapter 22, we've been following the Apostle Paul, the great missionary. And in a way, it's kind of a bit like a soap opera from week to week because we leave off on these cliffhangers, right? It's kind of like last week on Days of Our Lives, right? Or last week uh, in the book of Acts where we last left off with the Apostle Paul. He was getting beat up by a mob on the Temple Mount. If you're just joining us this week, just uh, look to your left there. You'll see what was going on. Uh, But I'll kind of run you through it. He's in Jerusalem. He's just got beat up by a big group of people. Now, why was that? Here's why. Because after 10 years of being a missionary, of working in what's now modern-day Turkey and Greece, planting churches, spreading the gospel, Paul decided to follow what he believed was the leading of God to come to Jerusalem. And he did this in spite of many warnings. There were a lot of people there in Jerusalem who didn't like him. And so people warned him, hey man, if you go there, you're going to get arrested. You're going to get beat up. It's going to be tough. You see, the Jewish people were hypersensitive about people trying to take away their culture and their traditions. And the reason for that was because for generations at this point, they had been ruled over by foreign nations. Uh, Currently, they were being occupied and ruled by the Romans. Prior to that, they were ruled by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and each of these nations who ruled over them had tried to force them into cultural assimilation, trying to get the Jewish people to abandon their own unique culture, their own religion, and assimilate into the Roman or Babylonian or Assyrian cultures. And to a degree, it had worked. For example, at the time of Jesus, the predominant language spoken in Israel was not Hebrew, it was Aramaic. Aramaic is the language of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They had picked this up during their exile there, and they continued to speak it when they returned. But see, not everyone had assimilated. There were pockets of Jewish people throughout the world who had held on to their culture and their traditions in spite of centuries of occupation. And the biggest of these groups was found in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of culture and and center of Jewish spirituality. And so after the exile, and even really to our modern day, those Jewish people who are very committed to the Jewish culture, they moved to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
And so the Jews in Jerusalem were hypersensitive to anything which they perceived to be an attack or an undermining of their culture and traditions. And so when they heard that Paul the Apostle was preaching a gospel that said that the only thing you needed to do for salvation was to have faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and that he's the Messiah and the Savior not only of the Jewish people but of all the world. Well, they took that as an attack, an undermining of their culture and their traditions. And so Paul came to Jerusalem. He comes as a Jewish man. He, he is participating in a Jewish ritual in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And, and a big part of why he's doing that is to show that he's not anti-Jewish, not even in the least. But some people there in the temple recognized him, and they falsely accused him of attempting to defile their most holy site. And as a result of that, a riot broke out. Everyone is trying to rip Paul to pieces. They're trying to kill him right there in front of the temple. And the only thing that kept Paul from being killed was that the Roman military came in and they extracted him. They had a base right there next to the temple in Jerusalem. They saw what was going on. They came in, they extract Paul out of the situation, and they saved his life. They handcuffed him, we read, they chained him, and they're taking him, they're escorting him up the stairs. So try to picture the scene in your mind. There's the temple. Next to the temple, there's a fortress called the Antonia Fortress. It's a Roman military outpost. They're taking him up the stairs, away from the temple, and into their military outpost where they're going to detain him. And so we leave off last week. Paul, as he's being led up the stairs, he politely asks in perfect Greek, if he could just say a few words to the crowd. And so the guards are kind of caught off guard by that, and they say, well, sure. So here's the picture. Angry crowd, Paul's standing above them on some stairs, Roman guards on both sides, and now he's going to address the crowd. And we read that in verses 1 and 2. Paul said this in the Hebrew language. He said, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. As I said earlier, the common language at this time in Israel was not Hebrew, it was Aramaic, but Hebrew was still learned by people. Hebrew was the language of their scriptures, it was the language that was spoken in the synagogues, it was the language of their ancestors, and as such, it held a very special place in their heart. They had a sentimentality for it. And all Jewish people who were serious about being Jewish, they learned Hebrew. The same is true even in our day. And you can see the effect that it had on them when they heard that Paul was speaking to them in Hebrew. This angry mob suddenly becomes silent to the point where you could hear a pin drop. Paul has got their attention. This is the kind of moment he's been waiting for. This is the reason he came to Jerusalem. He's hoping to have this kind of opportunity, this kind of moment to tell these people about the hope of the gospel, to tell them what Jesus did for them. So what's Paul going to say? He says, hear this defense that I make before you. That word defense in, in Greek, it's the word apologia. And that word apologia is the word from which we get our word apologetics. And what that refers to is giving a reason. It's giving a rationale, right? Giving the reasons for the rationale for the things that you believe. And here's how Paul's going to do this. Here's how he's going to give his rationale for why he's a Christian. He's not going to go into a discourse about Old Testament uh, theology. No, what he's going to do is he's going to tell them a story. He's going to tell them his story, his own story of how he came to believe what he believes, what happened to him that changed his thinking and led him to the place where he's at today. And I love this for so many reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is this, that no matter who you are, you can share your story, right? Maybe you say, well, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not good at arguing or debating and stuff like that. Well, maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe all you need to do 
is just share your story of what God's done in your life. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, there's this man who was born blind. And this man meets Jesus, Jesus heals him, now he's able to see. And the Pharisees come and they start peppering this guy with questions about Jesus. They say, well, who, who does this Jesus guy think he is? And how did he do this miracle? And is this really a legitimate miracle? And where did he go after he left you? And some people say he's a prophet. What do you think? Do you think he's a prophet? What do you say? They're just grilling him with questions. And the man says, I love his response. He says, look, I don't know. I have no idea. But here's what I do know. I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Like, that's all I know and that seems to be enough for me, right? This is what Paul's going to do. He's going to tell the story of how he changed his mind about Jesus, how he came to believe where previously he didn't believe. And let me ask you this, what is your story? What is your story? How did you come to put your trust in Jesus Christ? How did you come to embrace the gospel? Have you even done that? Maybe you haven't. How has your life been transformed as a result of becoming a follower of Jesus? See, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we read this, this interesting statement from Jesus. Right as he's preparing to ascend into heaven, he turns to his disciples and he says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Now, there have been a couple times when I was called on to be a witness in a court hearing. And on those occasions, it's interesting what you do. They go, they bring you up, and they just ask you, hey, so what happened? And then you tell them what you saw, what you heard, what you experienced, and they say, thanks. And then you get down. That's what it means to be a witness. In Acts chapter 4, there's another story where the, the local authorities in Jerusalem arrested some of the apostles for preaching about Jesus. And finally, they had to let them go because they didn't have anything to actually charge them with. Like, they hadn't committed an actual crime. And so they just kind of roughed them up a little bit, tried to scare them, and then they let them go. And here's what they said. It says they charged them, it's Acts chapter 4, they charged them not to speak or to teach anymore in the name of Jesus. But Peter answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, what this means is that if you're a Christian, you have a story to tell. Probably you have many stories to tell. And those stories of how God has worked in your life, how he's brought redemption into your brokenness, these are stories uh, that bring God glory. They're part of his grand story of how he's redeeming the world, how he's making all things new through Jesus Christ. And sharing these stories of what God has done in your life, how he's brought redemption into your brokenness, it's one of the practical things that you can do to bring God glory. So let's check out Paul's story, and then we'll talk more about that. Verse 3, it says this, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. Notice Paul doesn't say, I was a Jew, like I used to be a Jew, but now I'm a Christian. No, he says, I am a Jew. I'm still a Jew. In Paul's mind, putting his faith in Jesus as Messiah, that wasn't turning his back on Judaism. That was fulfilling his Judaism. Because, listen, if Judaism is not about the hope of the Messiah and the promise of the redemption of God, then what is it even about, Right? See, that's what the, all of the Jewish scriptures pointed to. That's the story that they told. The, the story that the Bible tells is that all of our humanity, all of us as human beings, we've fallen and we can't get up. 
And despite our best efforts, we're fundamentally broken, we're fundamentally lost, and we need outside help. We need a Savior. We need someone to come in and heal us and save us. And every story in the Old Testament, every law, every ceremony, uh, all of the Old Testament, it points to this one very important fact. We need a Savior. We can't do it on our own. And the good news is God promised to send us one. So Paul says, look, I'm a Jew. I'm only hoping in what all of you should be hoping for because it's the hope of of Judaism. I haven't forsaken my Judaism in the least. By putting my faith in the Messiah, I am fulfilling my Judaism. He says, I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. This is in eastern Turkey. He says, but I grew up here in this city in Jerusalem. I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. This is a very esteemed rabbi at that time. See, with each of these things, Paul is building up his credibility in the eyes of these people. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. He says, I was, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Like, I'm as Jewish as they get. Like, most of you guys out there who think you're Jews, you wish you were as Jewish as me. That's what he's saying. He says, I was zealous towards God, just like all of you are today. Which is kind of funny, right? You think as, about public speaking. Here's Paul, the public speaker. He's trying to build a bridge to these people. You know, say something positive and affirming about them. Well, I'll give you this. You guys have a lot of energy. I can see that. Good for you. You're very zealous. He says, in fact, I used to be zealous too. I persecuted this way. That was what they called the early Christians. He says, I persecuted this way even to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. This is verse 4 and 5. As the high priest and the whole council of elders will bear witness. For them, or from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul, at this point, has been a Christian for over 20 years. Over 20 years. But I think this is what's incredible about this. He can still relate to the way that people think who are not Christians. Right? He can still put himself in their shoes. He can still remember what it's like not to believe. He can still remember what it's like to look at Christians from the outside. I think some Christians can forget with time what it's like not to believe. And they can have a hard time. They can grow to have a hard time relating to people who don't think the way that they do, who, who have other ways of thinking, who, don't, who aren't Christians. But Paul could still remember, and, and I think this is good. He can tell these people, I know exactly where you're coming from. I was there. I've been there. I used to feel the exact same way. Uh, about Christians that you feel about me. He says, but this, here's the thing. I want to tell you what changed my mind. I want to tell you that something happened to me that I wasn't expecting would happen. It wasn't something I was looking for. Let me tell you what that was. Verse 6. He says, as I was on my way to Damascus and drew near, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone about me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Paul's saying, look, guys, I was like you. I, I've been in your shoes. I, was, I felt the same way that you feel now until something happened. And here's what happened. I met Jesus, and it changed my life dramatically. He said, and here's, here's what I love about this story. He could say, look, I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't seeking after Jesus. I was dead set in my ways. But Jesus came seeking me. 
He says that it wasn't, you know, open the door of your heart, you know, and receive Jesus by faith. He's saying, no, I had the door of my heart. It was dead bolted shut, right? Like, I was like, nobody's coming in here. But Jesus kicked down the door like the SWAT team. He says, let me tell you this today. If you are seeking Jesus, I, I want to tell you, if you're seeking Jesus today, the odds are in your favor. Like, it's really good odds. Because Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll find me. He'll never cast away anyone who comes to him seeking him. But what's even more incredible in a way, what's perhaps even better news than that, is that even if you're not looking for Jesus at all, he can still find you. He can still come looking for you. You know, two of the most beautiful words in the Bible, in my opinion, are the words, but God. They're found in several places in the Bible. There are times, you know, when they're telling the story and they say, we rejected Jesus, we crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, you and me, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were walking according to the manner of this world. We were opposed to God. We weren't looking for him, but God came looking for us. That's the good news of the gospel. Paul's saying, I was going my own way. I wasn't looking for Jesus, but God showed up, and unexpectedly, he shone his light on me, and it changed my life. But God came looking for me and found me when I wasn't looking for him. See, that's the good news of the gospel. You were lost, but God came seeking you. God intervened in your life. He came after you, and he shined his light upon you and gave you a new life, saved you, not because you deserved it, but because of his grace. See, that's the message of the gospel. You and I, you know, ultimately what we deserve is for God to say, you want to go your own way? Then go, right? Fine, have it your way. Go ahead. But the good news of the gospel is that God did not do that. That God did not give up on us, but that God loves us so much that he even pursued us when we weren't pursuing him. And maybe there's some of you here today, maybe you don't even know why you're here, you don't even know, maybe somebody dragged you here this morning, or, or you know, you're just hearing this later on, but you're, you've been going in a direction in life that is absolutely away from God. But let me tell you this, God is pursuing you. That's why you're here today. It's not an accident. Like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, maybe God is trying to get your attention. And I would encourage you today, if God is speaking to your heart, if God is trying to get your attention don't harden your heart to that. Respond to that. Turn to him with your whole heart because he wants to bring you out of darkness and death and he wants to bring you into light and life. Let's continue from verse 9. Now to those who were now those who were with me did not see the light. They did not or yeah, sorry, they saw the light but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, "What shall I do, Lord?" And the Lord said to me, "Rise and go into Damascus and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do." And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me and came into Damascus. I'll tell you this, this is a sign of a person who's truly been converted. They say what Paul says, where he says, what shall I do, Lord? See, many people come to God thinking that God will be very useful to them, that God can help them accomplish their goals or achieve their dreams. They can get some help from the man upstairs, right? But it's the person who has been truly converted who says, what would you have me do, Lord? Let's continue from verse 12. One Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. He came to me, standing by me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone 
of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon his name. And do you realize that last sentence I read from verse 16? Rise up and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling upon his name. Do you know that that would have been shocking? It would have, first of all, it would have been shocking for Paul to hear those words. But secondly, it would have been shocking as Paul relays this story. It would have been shocking to his hearers to hear these words. Because, see, Paul had been a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And see, Christians, we understand that baptism... In baptism, water represents our cleansing from sin. It represents what happens when we put our faith in Jesus and his blood atones for our sins and we're forgiven. See, but baptism was a practice which came to Christianity through Judaism. And in Judaism, baptism represented cleansing so that you would be acceptable to God. But here's the deal. In Judaism, baptism was reserved for Gentile converts to Judaism only. So if a Gentile wanted to believe in the God of Israel, great. They would just have to be baptized. It's kind of a ritual cleansing. And not only uh, would, sorry, but only Jewish people, or sorry, only Gentiles would be baptized. Nobody else. It was reserved just for Gentiles because they were considered unclean and unholy. They were considered dogs. And so if they wanted to believe in the God of Israel, good. But they were unclean and they needed to be cleansed. And baptism was a ceremonial ritual for doing that. But here in verse 16, think about what this is saying. This is the idea that even if you were born a Jew, you needed to be baptized when you came to Christ. You needed to be cleansed. And what that means is that no matter your background, every person stands on equal footing before the cross. Every person is equally lost. Every person is equally unclean and in need of being cleansed and being forgiven. You see, the idea that a good Jew would need to be baptized that they were just as unclean as a pagan. This would have been shocking to these people. But see, this is the message of the gospel, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you grew up going to church or whether you're a terrible felon, right? Whether you're a rotten person or a pretty nice guy, all are unclean and we all need a savior. But when you call upon his name, you can be completely loved, completely accepted, completely cleansed and forgiven and redeemed. Let's go on from verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Paul's saying that after he became a Christian, he came to Jerusalem and he was praying to God in the temple. Does that sound like a man who's anti-Jewish? Does this sound like somebody who has something against the temple? No way. And this, this is what Paul wants them to know. Let's continue, verse 19. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I stood by and approved, watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. See, Paul has this, he had this idea that he had the perfect skill set, the perfect skill set to be used by God powerfully to bring the message of Jesus to the Jewish people. He had the right background, he had the right experiences, he had the right story. And so when God told him to go to the Gentiles, at first he pushed back, he argued, he said, no way, that can't be right. I'm not sure that's a very good move, God. But he, see, he thought he knew better. But despite Paul's best reasoning, God called him to go to the Gentiles and to preach the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul's wanting them to know that. He goes, at first I resisted, but it became clear to me this is what God wanted me to do. 
Now, at the sounding of that word Gentiles, when Paul said that, it was as if a grenade went off amongst this crowd. These people who've been listening to him so quietly, so intently, hanging on his every word, when he said that one word, Gentiles, they flipped out. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So you've got to be here for that. But for today, here's what, I wanna, here's what I want you to see. His story, your story, and the imperative. His story, of course, because the Bible is not just a collection of random writings that reveal a couple things about God and give us some tips for how to live life better. No, the Bible is a story. It is a grand narrative. It is the story of God redeeming his creation. And this story, ultimately, is our story because it's a story which began in the past. It's a story which continues on. The end is in the future. So where does that put us? It puts us right in the middle. We're living in that story right now. And what that means is that our stories, your stories, my story they're part of his grand story of redemption which is the story of Jesus and so let me stop there and say this what is your story how has God been working redemption in your life what stories could you tell because there's a sense a very real sense in which there is a divine imperative that we should share these stories that, that we must share these stories because they bring glory to God in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, uh, this is what David says. He says, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and make known his deeds. That's the part I want to focus on. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, and tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name and let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually and remember Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, the judgments he uttered. Sing to the Lord all the earth and tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare the glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now, do you see the common theme in there? Over and over, he keeps saying, tell, talk about his wondrous works. Remember the things that he's done. Don't forget them. Talk about them. Keep talking about them. Keep letting it out, right? Because by doing so, in doing so, you bring glory to God. You know, this past summer, we were able to take our kids with us. We went on, a, on the church's mission trip. We're going to be doing another one this summer. I very much encourage you to get involved with that. But last summer, my wife and my kids were all able to go on the mission trip. We were in Hungary, and then we were in Romania. And during the time we were, we were in Romania, um, there was an afternoon on which I shared my story of how I became a Christian with a, you know, a group of teenagers that were there. And I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but my kids were in the room too, my little kids, and they were listening. And turns out this has been maybe like the single most impacting thing that my kids have ever heard from me was this story of how dad became a Christian, how dad turned to Jesus, and how dad received the Lord. You see, they talk about it all the time. They bring it up with me. They want to talk about it. In fact, I overheard my daughter uh, telling someone once, she was telling them, did you know that my dad almost went to hell? 
Like, right? And she's telling him, yeah, but he didn't because then he, he put his faith in Jesus, right? Like, it's been so impacting for my kids to have heard this story. Let me tell you, dads, moms, your kids need to hear the story. They need to hear your story of how you came to put your faith and trust wholly in Jesus, how you came to embrace the gospel. Your friends, your family members, they need to hear this story of how you came to sincere faith in Jesus Christ and how your life has been transformed as a result. You see, they need to hear the stories of answered prayers. They need to hear the stories of great things that God has done in your life, the things that God has taught you, the ways that he shaped you. These are the stories that you have to tell, and they are entrusted to you so that you would tell them for his glory. You know, many of you have probably heard the story uh, of how our daughter, our daughter who's now six when she was born, she almost died. She was in a coma for two weeks. She had brain damage. You know, they could see it on the CAT scan. They could see it in her blood. And they told us that she would be handicapped for life. And we were prepared to deal with that. We were prepared to accept that as God's plan for our lives. And we were going to deal accordingly. And, but yet at the same time, we prayed and we asked a lot of people we knew to pray. And we had a, a huge network of people praying for us. And God healed her. It was incredible. She had two main doctors. And both of these doctors told us, you know, if they've ever seen a miracle, that was it. See, it's a story that we never get tired of telling. I imagine that some people get tired of hearing about it because we talk about it all the time. But it's our story, and we're not going to stop talking about it because it's our story that God has given us for his glory. How can we stop telling that story? We're going to keep telling it for the rest of our lives. So what are the stories that you have to tell? Maybe your story, you'd say, well, you know, my story isn't great. I wasn't a good example. I've made some pretty big mistakes in my life. Well, I don't know if you've read the Bible, but there's a whole bunch of stories like that in there too. Right, people who walked with God sometimes, but sometimes they like sinned greatly and turned away and made huge mistakes. See, but those stories are important too. See, because those stories show how God forgives, how God is patient, how God is loving, how God redeems, and how God restores. They show how God is faithful even when we are faithless. And does that bring him glory? Absolutely. Share those stories you have for God's glory. You see, because all of these stories, they, they point to the true story of the world, the story of how God created this world good, but it's been marred by sin, and that sin permeates everything. It permeates all of us, but yet God did not abandon us. He is committed to redeeming this world, and he sent us the Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and died in order to abolish death and sin by dying in our place, by bearing the, bearing the penalty for our iniquity. And by rising from the grave in defeat of death. And the day is coming when all things will be made right. When there will be no more death and dying. When there will be no more sickness and tears. When there will be no more parting. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise that belongs to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and have been redeemed through him. You know, every story that's a good story, every good story in the world, the reason those stories stir our hearts, the reason those stories resonate with us in the deepest places, when, when that happens, it's because those stories are reflecting part of this great story, the true story of the world, God's redemption of the world. This is what our souls long for more than anything else. Every great story, the thing that makes it great, is if it points to this reality, this grand story of redemption that we're living in. See, that's true of this story as well. Paul was beaten. He was falsely accused. People wanted to kill him, 
but yet he responded in love. In fact, Paul loved these people so much in spite of the way they treated him that in his letter to the Romans, Paul would say this. He would say, I would even be accursed. I would even be cut off from Christ if only that would mean that my brothers, according to the flesh, the Israelites, could be saved. He's saying this, I would give up my salvation if they could be saved. I would go to hell if they could go to heaven. Who says that about people who beat you and try to kill you, right? That's incredible. I don't know if I could say that. But let me tell you this. Why do we love this story? Why do our hearts resonate with that and say, you know what? There's something good about that. There's something true about that. Why do we look at what Paul's doing here and he say, when we say, yes, there's something right about that. Yes, to forgive, that's right. You should do that. Yes, to love even after you've been hurt. Yes, that's good. Yes, to be willing to sacrifice yourself in order to save someone else. Yes, let me ask you, why does your heart resonate with those concepts? I'll tell you why. Because it's the grand story of, that we are living in. It's the true story of us. It's the true story of the world. It's the story that's written on our hearts. Because here's the deal. There was another. Like Paul, he came to the ones he loved, and they rejected him. They falsely accused him. They beat him. And not only did they try to kill him, but they succeeded in killing him. And yet all the while, he responded in love. And whereas Paul said, perhaps honestly, perhaps as hyperbole, whereas he said, I would be accursed for their sakes, this other one, Jesus Christ, he was accursed by God for our sakes. He actually did trade places with us. He was condemned so that you could be saved. He went to hell so that you could go to heaven. See, that is the message of the gospel. And I want to ask you this, if you will receive this grace today, will you put your hope fully, will you put your trust fully in what he has done for you? If you do that, then his story will be your story, and your story can be part of his great story of how he's bringing redemption into the world and making all things new. So today, whether for the first time or for the 500th time, will you receive that gift of God's grace? Please stand with me and pray. Lord, we thank you for this awesome gift of grace. Lord, the fact that you would give yourself, that you would be a curse so that we could be saved. Lord, that you would go to hell so that we could go to heaven. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for this story, this true story of our lives that we get to live in. Thank you, Lord, for the redemption that you're bringing in our lives. May we be witnesses to that. May we be those who tell those stories to our families, to our friends, to our kids, Lord, that we would bring you glory by talking about the great things you have done. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of the gospel. May we rejoice in it as we go here today. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado from our Revolution series, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.